Kore ete iwi and welcome to the pod. This week, it's a UFC special where we preview UFC 253. We caught up with City Kickboxing coach Eugene Beerman, and later in the show, we speak with UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesonia. Before we get into, uh, you know, being in Las Vegas and then moving on to Abu Dhabi to Fight Island, we will backtrack a bit and talk about those unique preparations you had in New Zealand before you left um, being in isolation with the crew for around two weeks, I think it was, and how you came about that decision to prepare for this fight card. Yeah, I mean, that just came about, obviously, because, um, you know, we had those guidelines imposed on us and we didn't want to be separated throughout that time. We wanted to maintain our usual um, kind of training regimen with all our training partners. So the easiest way to get around that, um, or not get around it, but, you know, follow the guidelines um, was to uh, basically all of us to move into the gym and and basically create kind of like a family household, I guess, Um, like a a family bubble um, living at the gym, which would, you know, as per the guidelines, which would mean that we were able to train together and live together and um, still carry on our usual training regimen, which is what we wanted. So it was some uh, sacrifices from the guys, but every everybody came together and everybody cooperated. And uh, like I've said in other interviews, like uh, there was a big silver lining to that. And, and that is that that kind of broke the monotony of what we usually do and gave us kind of like a, a fresh perspective, a new new kind of energy so it was it was quite nice pleasantly surprised it must be quite refreshing for you as well as a coach to you know it's a new approach it's a new way of learning and getting to know your fighters a little bit better is this something that you might perhaps do again for other fight cards well to be honest i think the guys want me to um at least entertain the idea they don't mind. It's the um, the practicality of it and the logistics of it are a little bit. Those are the difficult things. But um, we haven't. We decided to put that on the shelf just while we're dealing with these fights. But it's definitely something the guys want me to revisit um, to see if this that sort of environment can be recreated for their other fights. I don't know if it would be exactly. Uh, like that, but maybe we'll take aspects of it and plug them into what we're already doing. Okay, so let's get down to this main event, UFC 253, and I feel like I say this to you every time I talk to you, but it really is true. Every time, um, you know, you go back to UFC, it's history in the making, and it's this again, defending this title against um, Paula Costa for Israel. What's the feel with him at the moment? You know, how is he feeling and, and how has he come along through camp this time around? Has there been anything different that you've found about him? Yeah, it has been a little different, to be honest. And I'm not, and obviously, in regards to the COVID stuff and having to um, camp down in the gym, we've already talked about, but I think um, Israel's stepped up a little bit for this fight. He might portray the fight a certain way in the media, but I think he, you know, I think in all seriousness, he knows this is a very dangerous opponent. It's an undefeated uh, opponent. So uh, previously, uh, unbeaten, you know, no one's previously been able to kind of crack the code on this guy. And 
those things kind of like they present uh, a real danger, like real danger for someone like Israel. And I think Israel has, in a positive way, used that to just give himself a little bit of an extra push. Um, he's always obviously training hard, but I, yeah, I just feel like he, he's just throughout the camp, throughout the whole duration of the camp, probably just lifted himself a little bit from what I usually see, which is which is like, firstly, that's hard to do because we're already training at such a high level. And secondly, it's hard to notice. So the fact that I'm sitting here and talking about it is, and, and it's been noticeable, uh, is a really good thing for me to observe. There's been a lot of, you know, talk banter between himself um, and Paulo, and I was going to ask you, you know, about that respect factor, and it is something um, that Izzy never says before a fight, but after a fight, you can clearly see that, you know, there is the respect there for opponents. I mean, as a coach, you have to look at the whole thing, you know, from an outside perspective. What are those dangers, you know, for viewers, especially that may not know Paulo Costa? What does he bring to the floor that perhaps Izzy hasn't seen yet? Just a little bit contrary to the statement you made is that he doesn't bring anything that Israel haven't seen yet. That's the accompanying thing for us is that um, his style, his style, we've seen before and that that comes with having so many fights you're talking about Israel having over 100 fights the obvious thing that we haven't seen is we haven't seen this individual and there's certain things that come with each individual that you'll never be able to tell until you're in the fight but the actual style is something that um, we've seen quite a few times and it's a very aggressive style it's a very um, explosive uh, athletic style, very dangerous, but at the same time leaves you in very vulnerable positions. So it's a guy who likes to take a lot of risk to cause a lot of damage. But like I said, he takes a lot of risk. So it's it's something that we can capitalize on while at the same time having to be very cautious. So that that that's a lot of difficulty for us. Without going into specifics, because I don't want to go into specifics, I'm trying to draw a general picture for the audience, but yeah, a very aggressive come forward style um, and a very powerful man. He speaks about that often, that his power is, you know, more superior than Israel's. How do you prepare Izzy for that impact, you know, when you've never faced it before? How do you kind of, I don't know, guesstimate what that power might feel like and condition Izzy for it? Or is it a case of, not getting hit at all. <laughs> yeah, well, firstly, you're right. It's a case of not getting hit at all. But also, that's that that what you what you just said is this is the nervous bit, is the scary bit for me as a coach, is that you have all these individuals that are so good at what they do and they're so powerful and so explosive, um, and you can't really answer with any accuracy just how that's gonna. Um, you know, how that's going to come forth on the fight, how it's going to work itself out, whether Israel, if he does get hit with a clean shot, whether Israel's been, going to be able to take that shot or whether Israel's going to be able to see it in time and roll with it. You just, there's all those factors that we can watch as much video and do as much analysis as we can, but there's a certain chunk of it that we won't know until we're in there, until we won't 
know until we see the first 30, 40 seconds. And that's the, you know, that's that's the part that kind of motivates us and pushes us to do so, you know, pushes us to do so much. But it's also the part that makes us a little bit nervous because you never really truly know about another, you know, about another athlete until you're in there and you're, in, you know, you're in the mix, you're in the moment. Is that when it's more about, you know, that mentality of worrying? I mean, of course you worry about what's coming at you, but trusting the process and what you bring to the table? 100%. Because that, that those are all things that we're not, that Israel and myself would have no control over. We don't have any control over how powerful he is, he is or what he does in respect to certain things. We just have to be very confident that we've done everything that we can. We always talk about that old cliche saying of leaving no stone unturned, and that is literally the approach we try to take. We just try to take care of everything so that we don't run into anything that we haven't seen before or that, or so that we can deal with everything no matter what the circumstances that pop up are. So that's the approach. And, and to that end, we just take care of as many things as we can on our end and then we go in there and we, well, we don't roll the dice, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Israel, of course, is quite the showman. Uh, when the door closes on the cage, though, it is a very different story. But he's used to the hype. He's used to the the cheering. He's, you know, he's dancing before he fights and things like that. This time it's no crowd. Again, the biggest fight of his career. How do you adjust to that environment when there's so much on the line for a fight like this where he really does draw a lot from a cheering crowd in that environment? Yeah, I mean, it is quite different and we have had a, we've been lucky enough to have a little bit of intel on this. So obviously we had Dan Hooker fight and then we had uh, Alex fight with no crowd. And and we got a lot of information from, from those two events. Look, we've tried to simulate that environment um, back home, um, you know, I had I had them sparring in an empty gym with just the coaches in the gym, one sparring partner, and Israel or Shane or Brad or Kai. And um, I think the guys found that tremendously useful because it is a completely uh, different feel different environment to how we're usually sparring and fighting and again that's just taking care of as many things as we can so that we don't run into any problems along the way and we just hope that we've gone some of the way on to doing that my guess is Israel's going to be fine with it like he, he's and, and all these guys are like uh, these guys are just so professional these guys are just so professional they're just so good at what they do. They're so good at the sport. They're so good at the mental game of the sport. Um, I don't think it'll have too much of an effect. And if it has, we've taken as many precautions as we can beforehand. But again, it's the unknown that makes you nervous. And so a lot, always the most interesting part of a fight for me is that first 30 seconds, because in that first 30 seconds, you can tell so much. Without giving away the game plan, how does, how does Izzy win this fight? You know, really in a, in a broad, if you want to make me a broad sort of prediction, I think Israel, um, I think Israel either, either wins a decision or he gets a stoppage uh, late.
yeah, I think Israel, I think, I think as Israel gets more and more comfortable with what's coming at him, more comfortable with the speed and the movement, I think he slowly starts to um, ramp his computer up, so to speak, and uh, yeah, get, get the computer firing and he starts to pick Costa off. What's so cool about this is a real classic kind of like um, boxer versus puncher fight. You've got this big, powerful guy. You've got another guy who's a little bit, probably less powerful, but a little bit more skillful. And you're playing those two things off against each other. I think that's what makes the fight so interesting, as well as all the other stuff, the personalities that clash and all the rest of it. You spoke about picking Costa off as, you know, an advantage for Israel, you know, considering his fitness and considering Costa's quite top heavy to take him into those deeper rounds as he's got much more experience fighting five rounds. I mean, we definitely have some physical advantages that we we have to use. You know, we have to we we have to use those advantages. Like if if we can't do that, it could be potentially a lot more difficult fight than we are anticipating. The experience is always valuable in this sport. In this sport, experience is one of the most underrated um, you know parts of the sport that people don't really look towards, but. You know, like your first championship fight, your first when you're fighting for that title is that's as deep of waters as you can possibly jump, put yourself in. Israel's been there several times now, and Israel has had, like I said, over a hundred fights, and a good majority of those fights against the best people in the world, kickboxing and MMA. That's just something that no one else in this division even comes close to. That's one big advantage that always gets overlooked by a lot of the experts and a lot of the people that talk about fights is that experience. And I think um, that experience will come into play in this fight. Now, in the bigger scope of things, you know, when we think back to Halbergs and New Zealand MMA being on that stage in this country, um, when we think of sport now, it's a very different landscape because of the pandemic and things like that. But if you can explain to those who are still not yet converted, I don't know why. But what does this fight mean for New Zealand MMA and, you know, this evolution that it's going through right now through your gym? This, I mean, this is history in the making. To have four guys at this level all competing on the same card, to have one person for, um, fighting for the middleweight championship of the world against another undefeated prospect. It's it's like us versus the Wallabies or us versus South Africa in, in the Rugby World Cup final. A lot of New Zealand sport at the moment is on hold. We're fortunate that we're the only one of the only teams that are going to be in recent times representing the country. Um, and I've used that to motivate these guys because uh, uh, my guys are very, and my gym and everybody on my team is a very patriotic, proud New Zealanders. So, um, yeah, it's a historic event and it means a lot to us. And, and we hope that that comes across to the New Zealand public. A lot of people, when they, you know, see the journey, I mean, it's all over social media and YouTube and things like that, these clips um, of you and the team and, of course, the likes of 
uh, Mike Ango and Doug Viney. It's essentially two generations worth of New Zealand MMA in one gym. Um, Explain a little bit more about that and the relationship that you have with those trainers and how they have really helped, you know, get to, you know, this point where you have these four fighters fighting on the biggest fight card in the world. Yeah, absolutely. That would give me a lot of pleasure because uh, I feel like um, those guys, uh, although they don't want to be in the limelight much, I feel like they deserve to be in the limelight. But, yeah, I mean, we all grew up in the sport together. Um, Mike Angov, Tristram, Doug Viney, the like, you know, these guys. I started uh, fighting... Thai boxing in 1999, all those guys were there, uh, you know, five plus years before me. So we're definitely spanning the generations in our gym. But what it means for these four guys here is an invaluable, like a highly valuable resource. And a resource that not a lot of teams have. It's a resource that's built on years upon years and fight, you know, literally, you know, years and years of actual fighting. And what those guys are is what we call like lifers. Like those guys found the sport and they will never leave the sport to the day that, you know, to, to the light shut out. They will be in the sport to the day they die. And I'm lucky enough to be able to pull those, I was lucky enough to pull those resources together. And these guys, these four guys are are, are lucky enough to reap the benefits of those resources. Now, of course, you you all work together. You've, from what I can remember, you know, kind of opened this space together. But when, you know, when you, like how you said, practically grew up with these guys through the fight community, it wasn't in CKB. It was, you know, I think founded with Lee Guy at, at, right at the beginning. So talk yeah. a little bit about that and how it evolved to where it is now. Yeah, so, I mean, we all started at Lolohe Mullis Gym, which was uh, called Baumara Lee Guy, which is still in existence um, today. And we all had uh, wonderful, great, amateur and professional careers underneath uh, our, our trainer, Lolo. Me and Doug got an opportunity to open City Kickboxing. And um, at that stage, we um, respectfully asked Lolo if, we, if it would be a good idea and if we could kind of take our own path, take our own journey. And then he gave us his blessing. And then we went, we, we went and done that. As our gym developed, um, a lot of uh, the students that we uh, grew up with in that sport, they decided to come over and, and give me a hand with this fight team that was gradually and gradually growing. And, you know, I'm not sure if it's by chance or by design. Maybe I um, designed it a little bit, maybe un- you know, maybe unwittingly, but I managed to get a wonderful group of guys uh, together and we managed to uh, pull our resources together and we all 
the other important thing is we all get along with each other. Uh, we all put our egos aside when it comes, you know, when it comes time to train these guys. I think that's an important element that um, can't be forgotten. And yeah, and, and and from that from that path, it's led us to where we are now. And that's you know, I mean, we we owe everything to that gym that we started off and that trainer. Um, honestly, uh, the great Lolo Hamwali who brought us all together and gave us the foundation of how we frame, how we think of combat, how we think of the sport, how we think of strategy and technique and tactics. Uh, a lot of that comes from him and other other and other influences, other coaches that um, some of the guys have had and I've had. So we're very thankful for those roots. Now, when you look at the gym and where it is now, I mean, I can see, you know, different fighters coming from different gyms, coming to either exclusively uh, train with you now or have become, you know, like visiting partners in the gym. Is that, do you think because of that lineage that, you know, the New Zealand fight community just want to be a part of it and especially soaring the way that you guys are right now? Yeah, I mean, the, the lineage, like I said, had a big part to do with why we're successful. Um, because uh, it's such a good lineage to come from, such a knowledgeable lineage to come from. I th people have just, I think, I think we've got some special coaches at the gym, and I think people uh, understand that and they want to learn off them. I think first and foremost, they just want to learn about the sport and they want to learn off them. And we've got some coaches that are proven to be some of the world's best coaches, and they just want to learn off them. So they're all pulling around my gym. Um, yeah, I mean, we have, there, there are, the great thing about the gym is for the most part, most of the guys that come understand that to get the most out of the gym, you've got to be a part of the gym. And that means someone that turns up five, six days a week for years, because this sport, you have to invest uh, time time is the biggest investment you'll make and to get where people like Israel, Brad, Kai have got, you've got to understand or what you're seeing now is a decade's worth of work plus from those guys. I let everybody understand that that's just, there's no way around it. You have to put in the time, you have to work hard, um, you'll get the best results, you'll get the most out of these coaches and this gym if you commit for to the long game. Yeah. What is it about this environment? What is it about this, you know, this world that, you know, has your heart, you know, so much? You have to have more than just the want, you know, or the passion. You would 100% have to have the heart to be in, you know, in a sport like this with the amount of people you deal with. What is it for you that, you know, really motivates you to, to coach and, and help people be better? I enjoy helping people achieve their end goal. I think that feeling is common amongst all of us. If we can be a part, a big, a big part of someone achieving their end goal, I think that feeling is priceless. It, it, I, I, it's for me. It's a similar feeling to being successful in a fight. 
And that's something I really uh, strive for and, and really hope for. It puts a lot of pressure. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself, put a lot of pressure to achieve that, but um, that's what I really enjoy. When someone like Brad, who's worked his entire life from a young man, Kai, who's worked his entire life from a young man, to be able to help those guys get to where they want to go and beyond sometimes, um, I, it's a feeling I can't describe. It's indescribable, but it's something that um, it's, it's one of the main reasons I do it. Well, thanks again for your time, Eugene, and all the very best at UFC 253. Now, of course, preparing for this fight card, you you know never would have guessed that something like this COVID-19 global pandemic would have happened, which is, you know, it's throwing a somewhat of a spanner in the works, but you and the team have, have worked through it. How have you found the regulations? Has it impacted preparations in any way? And how are you dealing with all the testing? Uh, the testing's easy. Um, but I just make sure I check everything first. <laughs> I try to anyway, just to make sure my, my container's sealed and whatnot. I'm just paranoid like that. Um, but apart from that, nothing's really shaking me or anything. It's just, I kind of like the quiet. I mean, I'm in my hotel room. You know, when we went outside, there's no, you know, fans trying to get you to sign 20 different things so they can go sell them on and trade me on eBay. Um, I mean, that's all part of the experience, but I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of happy to not, just to, be, just to be left alone for a while and just get to fight. I kind of like that feeling. And I'm looking forward to fighting in an empty arena as well in, in Fire Island with only a few people watching. I wanted to talk to you about that, actually. I mean, it, it feels like when you're, you know, when it's fight week and fight night, you feed off that energy of the people and the cheering and the lights and the cameras you seem to shine. So I did want to ask you about and the booing. How, how, <laughs> how do you adjust to that and how have you prepared for that, you know, that quiet environment? Uh, our last sparring before we flew on on Monday, Eugene, um, you know, had us spar in the gym empty to kind of get us used to it. Um, but I don't think it's going to be, I don't know. I, I feel for myself, knowing me, it's not really going to make a difference. I feel like it'll feel more natural to me when it's just me and the other guy and a few people watch you rather than the whole crowd. Because whether they're cheering or booing for you, the crowd's still a factor you have to take into consideration. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to affect me in a negative way. I think I'll actually thrive with, with no one watching live. I think Jim put on his Facebook page when it first started happening where there were no crowds at the UFC, that it was kind of um, a sparring man's, you know, dream because it is just like being in the gym and not everyone performs their best under that, you know, intense crowd environment. Do you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. I think some people don't, but I can do both. I have good days in the gym uh, and I also have good fights under the lights, so I don't think it's going to affect me in a negative way where I feel like, you know, oh, shit, you know, there's no one watching me. Like, nah, I'll just show up and fight. That's what I do. Then, of course, the other spanner is there's so much more travel involved this time around. You're, oh, you, God. Know, you have to go to yeah. America first, then off to, 
to Abu Dhabi. So what's that like in leaving home a lot earlier than, than you usually would? Uh, my body's already responding like it's fight week. I check my weight just before. My, my weight's dropped down quite a lot. So I have to remind my body that, hey, just slow down. Um, we're not there yet. So, um, yeah, just, I don't know. Even from, what was it, from Auckland to LAX, I teleported pretty much. I just, it's a 10-hour and a half flight. I dozed off after one episode of Westworld. Woke up, it was six hours left, and I dozed off again. Woke up to the pilot telling us we're going to land. So I felt like I just teleported. And yeah, I'm good at that. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, UFC 253. We'll talk about your teammates being there with you as well. I mean, I, I spoke about, um, you know, this being a very different preparation and things like that. It must be, you know, really nice to have, you know, three teammates there as well as, um, large majority of your gym on this trip with you as well. Yeah, I'll definitely, we're a gang right now. Like we're, we're the people that this is our show. Put it that way. We're this is our show. This two five three. This is a CKB show. So we're rolling deep. We've got the gang with us. We've got some more coming. Um, we've got Jeff. I think he's in quarantine here at the moment. Must my videographer. We've got Tim, one of my managers. I saw him about. Yeah, we were talking to each other from the window. Um, and yeah, we've got some more. Ash is already on his way to the UAE, I think, or to Vegas. I'm not sure. Like, we're mobilizing right now, and it's going to be cool just to have everyone just rolling deep. It's going to be fucking awesome. And, I mean, they're not there to just spectate either. I'm, you know, I understand Carlos and Blood are there fight ready in case, you know, that there's an opportunity for them to take the octagon as well. So talk about that preparation and how exciting oh, wow. it must be for them to be on standby like that. Yeah, it's hard to, I mean, like, I just finished my last, I had two trainings today. My, I just, my last one, I had Carlos with me uh, sparring. And he, he he's a good look for Paulo Costa because he's even longer than them. He's got a better striking than Paulo Costa. Um, and we're sparring in a makeshift, what do you call it, a makeshift uh, gym, one of the hotel rooms. Um, so yeah, it's his time. And same with Diamond. Diamond's been around the world with me. Me and him have traveled so many places together, like many different countries. And, you know, it's his time as well. Like Diamond is his time to shine. And I can't wait till the world sees those guys under the lights. And yeah, they're staying ready. They're in shape. Uh, they're on weight. You know, they're close to their weight class. And yeah, I just feel like it's, 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 it's I'm telling you, it's a CKB show. How far do you think, you know, in, in your own words, describe, you know, how far your gym has come within the UFC, you know, as well as the individual fighters? Oh, I mean, like, oh, you look at, you know, the story of CKB, City Kickboxing, is a small gym in the heart of Auckland City uh, with two guys who, who, who started this off with, with, with the, I wouldn't really say with the dream. They started it off just to get some money and then, because they're such great fighters, people gravitated towards them. And because they're such great people, people stuck with them. And someone like myself, I stuck with them because, you know, it's, it's a great environment for me. And now look where we are 10 years on and still going on. So, yeah, from, from the little old gym in Auckland to, to, to taking over the world on the biggest stage in the middle of a pandemic, um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be in this position. I'm grateful to be able to 
you know, still earn money. You know, I'm still able to be able to travel. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to have these experiences, even though it's a little bit weird. I'm, I'm, gratitude is my attitude. I'm, I'm always looking. I'm always making sure I stay in this mindset. Never, because sometimes you can get complacent and take it for granted, but I try not to. So I make sure I stay grateful always. Now, talking about that platform, I know you've had discussions about uh, with other people about the Black Lives Matter movement and going to um, the United States right now, you know, I can't imagine, you know, how that would feel for you to actually be there in that environment um, during this time. Um, you know, did you get any of the feels while you were there? What, what do you see and what, what did it feel like when you got to that part of the world? Uh, right now, not really. Mostly in this part of the states, it's all COVIDed up. There's no riots or nothing, which is, which is good. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, something like it's one thing I've always heard whenever like I talk about racism or especially racism in the states and speak out about it. People go off. Oh, don't bring that bullshit over to New Zealand. Don't bring that in American politics to New Zealand. Guess what? I've been in America normally when it's, you know, when, when it was the way it was when, when, without any COVID. And I've experienced that. You know, like, like a racist doesn't just look at me and go, oh, no, nah, you're, you're not from here. No, nah, you're all right. I'm not going to be prejudiced towards you. They just see me and, oh, it's black. You know what I mean? And they'll say whatever they want to say or they'll act the way they want to act. It doesn't, like, blackness is worldwide. It doesn't really matter what part of the world you're from. If you're black, you feel. If you're human, you feel. If you feel what, you know, the struggle that these people are going through, my people are going through. So, yeah, being here right now, it's kind of, it's not really, you know, it's not too much because the COVID buzz is taking over, but it is what it is, man. I'm just, I'm just rolling and I stay black. That's me. So let's talk, you know, more about um, Fight Night. It's just around the corner. Um, you know, the talking to and fro's been going long before this fight was even announced. Um, it's, you know, been highly anticipated for a little while. How do you see this fight? We'll start with how do you see this fight panning out? Uh, honestly, it's going to be an early finish for me or it's going to be a late finish for me, like fourth round. But I see myself taking him out early because he's going to be overconfident. I feel like he's going to be overconfident, thinking he can just walk through my shots you know, same way a lot of other guys have. They think like, oh, I don't see no pop in his punches. He, oh, he doesn't have any power. He's too skinny. And they're always surprised. The first few exchanges, they're always surprised. And the first time they they get cracked by me, they're like, oh, oh. And it's like an involuntary body response. Their body just goes into shock. Like, I wasn't expecting that. So I, I hope he comes with that attitude because, yeah, he's going to be in for a rude awakening before he goes to sleep. <laughs> I know that, you know, you are, are a very confident fighter and you have to be in a sport like this, especially when you shut that door and it's just you two in the octagon. But I also think I know you well enough to know that there will be a sense of respect there as well. And, you know, so how have you prepared for, you know, this massive power that he keeps talking about that he's going to bring? How do you prepare for power that you've not yet faced? <sighs> I have faced, I have faced power like that. <laughs> That's the thing. Everyone talks about his power. It's like, I have not seen him one shot someone in the UFC. 
like one shot drop dead someone in the UFC. You can look at my kickboxing fights. I've done that. You can look at my UFC fight. Example, UFC 243. One shot, boom. I sat with a girl on his ass um, twice. Uh, I haven't seen him yet to do that. He does his flurries on the cage, and it's just the way he looks. He's got big muscles, so everyone thinks he's got power, but people forget the leverage, the fulcrum that these limbs bring. They don't understand. So people are still fooled by Hollywood. They still got the wool over their eyes. So, yeah, I'm not like I have seen power like that before. Everyone has power. You have power, Vinda. I wouldn't let you punch me in the face because you'd probably hurt me. You know, if I just put my hands behind my back and go, go punch me in the face, everyone has power. But it's how do you know how to use that power? Do you know how to reach the person? Do you know how to time it very well? That's the, that's the, that, those are the bits that count. So, yeah, I can't wait, man. He's in for a rude awakening before he goes to sleep. How much of this comes down to, you know, like that fight IQ rather than just a bull in a china shop? Exactly. It's fight IQ. It's the brains behind the brawn. I'm going to keep that. The brains behind the brawn. Not just all brawn and, no, you're going to knock him out, bro. This and that, blah, blah, blah. It's understanding the patterns that he he has in his fights and where he's successful and where he sucks. And we've already exploited that in the gym. So we're going to exploit it come fight night. You've prided yourself on your journey to this point. You, I think before you were the champion, one of the most active fighters in the UFC, you've fought a lot of those top flight fighters. Um, and, you know, there's been mentioned that he has not. Do you think that he's ready for this fight? He's not ready for this fight. That's the thing. He's being served. Um, I think his hardest fight was Romero. Um, and he, I think he fought Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall was touching him up, but Uriah Hall succumbed to his his will. But there's a difference, big gap between me and Uriah Hall. You know, um, I just feel like the, the, a lot of these guys, it's easy, to, it's easy to talk. It's easy to say all this shit when you're, not in there with me when you are when you face all these other guys, all these B grade fighters, and then you come face the A plus plus. That's a different league. And then when you're in there, it's too late. You, you then you have to try and learn on the fly. But he's too dumb with his peanut brain to learn on the fly, so he's gonna struggle that whole night. How attached have you become to being that champion? How comfortable are you in that spot now? I'm, I've always been comfortable as the top dog. I've, I wouldn't say I'm attached to being a champion, but I've even before the belt came, you can look at old interviews where I'm like, bro, the, the belt's just a fancy tiara. I'm, I'm already the champ. I see myself as a champ, as a top top dog in this in this division. Before the belt came, like four fights before the belt came, I've been saying all this shit. Before that, I was saying that before I even got in the UFC, you know, and I did it. So now I'm like, cool. I am where I'm, I'm supposed to be, but I never, I don't get attached like some of these other guys who walk around carrying the belt everywhere. I don't get attached. There's a certain point in camp that I grabbed the belt. I didn't see the belt through the whole first COVID lockdown. Then after the COVID lockdown, I grabbed it off Eugene and I kept it in my, in my house for a while. And then about eight weeks, nine weeks out from the fight, I took it back to the gym and I was like, here, I just don't want to see it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want it in my house. You know, there's just marks on the wall where it used to stay. But I know I have to get it back. That's the mentality that I keep. I stay woke and I stay broke. Why is it that you didn't want it in your house for too long? 
I don't want to get attached to it because, like I said, a lot of people get comfortable. They get complacent. They think this is it. Like, it's easy to get to the top. But it's, I mean, it's hard to get to the top, but it's harder to stay on top. And you've seen a lot of these guys who, you know, they win the belt and then the next fight, they lose their belt. You know, I'm, I'm not one of those guys because I've defended my belt twice now against Whitaker and against, um, what's his name, Romero. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to defend it for a third time this weekend. And I'm not one of these guys, man. Like, I don't want to be, you know, thinking like, like, I know, I know I'm the shit. You don't have to tell me I'm the shit. But also I have to remind myself that, I have to remind myself that I'm not, I'm not shit. Like, I still have a long way to go. So that's why I do shit like that. I just take it out of my house because I don't want to feel too comfortable as all that. In your reign as champion, um, you haven't been as active. You can't be as active as a champion. Has that been an adjustment for you, considering how active you were to start with and just really hungry to, I mean, mate, you could have fought three times in a week if you had your own way, but <laughs> have you had to adjust to that? Uh, a little bit, but I mean, the COVID thing kind of threw a big monkey wrench in the whole thing, because I was going to fight again after March. I was going to fight again June, hopefully, or July, but then, like, this whole COVID thing kind of threw a whole spanner in the works, so... Yeah, it's just been, I wouldn't say it's a struggle, but I, I like fighting, man. Right now, while I'm still young, I'm in the stride of my prime. I want to keep fighting. So, yeah, uh, man, I, everyone keeps saying once this COVID thing blows over, who the f knows what's <laughs> going to blow over. But, yeah, um, I want to stay active. So, with this fight, after this fight, I'll look to get one maybe end of the year or early next year. Maybe. But we'll see. I got to talk to Eugene first, see what he wants to do, because it's not just me. You know, I like to fight, but other people have to be considered because he's a family man with, you know, pretty much two new kids. And also my other teammates like Andre being away from his kids and whatnot. And they'll do this for me because they, they you know, they love me and also, you know, other reasons. But yeah, I have to consider their feelings as well. It's nice of you. That has like a real whānau vibe about it. I have to. I don't have kids yet, but I can imagine what it's like being away from from your seed. This is yet another historical event for New Zealand MMA. I mean, pretty mm. much every time you walk to the octagon or dance to the octagon, it's a historic moment. Do you, you know, keep that in the back of your mind when you're preparing for things like this? Not really. I, I don't think I keep it in the back of my mind. It's just there because I know. I just made a story actually about 30 minutes ago that um, one of the UFC pages put up of all, like in about 15 seconds, all me walking out, like each of my fights. Mm -hmm. And I put his story favors the bold, like history, his story favors the bold. And I put my shit on the line every time. Like uh, I let my nuts hang. I let people know what I'm about because I never want to shy away from expressing myself and letting people know what I really want to do. Because mm -hmm. most people do. In our culture, you know, in New Zealand, pe people don't, they're not bold enough to say what they want to do. And that's why history will forget who they are because they're not bold enough to speak their mind and speak their truth. Never being me. I speak my truth. I speak my mind. I let you know what I'm going to do. And I go out there and do it. And that's why history will remember me. But I don't think about it like a conscious thought. I just kind of like, it just, it's just part of me. I just know, like, if you know, you know. That's what we say. If you know, you know. And I know very well. And you've, you know, you're so fortunate to have been born in Nigeria and migrated to New Zealand and had these two amazing nations with you. 
what does this mean yeah. for your, you know, for your Nigerian family and for a country, you know, that's in in contrast to New Zealand, you know, so different. Mm. It must have such yeah. a different audience. Was it 80 million mm. plus? I think last I checked, it was it 80 million plus? Maybe even more. Hold up. I have to recheck that now, the, the census. <laughs> but, oh, um, you. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it's a lot. I mean, so that's, that's. I mean, having that power behind me is always is always beautiful. I've got, you know, superstars over there who, you know, support me and they put me out there. Um, I've got the people. I'm a man of the people. When I'm out there, people love me. They always show love and support me. They stay up till like 4 a.m. to watch me fight. And I want to be that guy, like I've always said before I got in the UFC, that I want to be that guy when I, like when I fight. Like the way Manny Pacquiao, when he fights, the whole Philippines shut down. When I fight, I want Nigeria to shut down. I want crime rates to drop. I want everything to stop, the whole nation to stop. So that way they're all watching in anticipation what's going to happen. And after I win, a whole parade celebration, like the World Cup in 1995, I believe, I think. <laughs> How important is representation for you because for you I don't know who you were looking to as your you know role model you know from Nigeria or, or anything like that so mm. how important is it mm -hmm. for you to be that person for your nation not only in Nigeria but New Zealand as well I wouldn't really say for the nation because I've always looked at other people from different nations as representing me just because they're black you know um, as a kid, I never, I looked at Jackie Chan. He was, he represented me because he was cool and I wanted to do the shit he was doing in all his movies. So I felt represented by Jackie Chan. But also I know what you mean because as a kid when a video game, it was always hard to see a black character like in Mortal Kombat. So when I saw Jax, ooh, I'm that guy. Every kid wanted, every black kid wanted to be Jax because it was, it's, it's representation, you know, and it, it is really important. But um, yeah, for me, even in New Zealand, like I have a lot of kids who, uh, from Africa, like their parents migrate and then they, they, they birth them in New Zealand and they kind of feel like sometimes they don't belong because their story is kind of similar to mine. Like, oh, where are you from? I was born here. No, 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 where are you really from? It's like, oh, uh, I was born here. I was born in Napier. Like, uh, like, you know, some people, that's some people's stories. So they feel like I represent them. And I'm glad they feel that because I know the struggle. I've been through what they've been through. I've been called all the names they've been called. You know, I've been through the same situations as some of them have. So I'm glad I'm able to represent those people. And even those who don't, who aren't black, like I, I felt like Jackie Chan represented me and he ain't black. Call me Blackie Chan, not jerks. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, uh, I, if some, some people who feel like I represent them, even though they're not the same race as me, proud to you and I love you, I appreciate you. And thank you for being inspired by my, my story. Now, finally, most importantly, last summer I saw you at the beach. Did you buy the jet? Oh, yo, <laughs> not yet, because for, that was a that summer. No, the last summer been was what happened. It was really busy, but it wasn't that good. I mm. think that was cool. And shout out to the <laughs> boss as well for loaning us those jet skis. That was awesome of him. But yeah, that's been on the list. Two jet skis, because you can't be that guy having one jet ski. All Scott, no mates. But um, yeah, that, and I've got some other plans, man. Like New Zealand's got so many beautiful spots, bro. Like so many beautiful spots that you can just go and camp out at. So I've got some other plans with um, with what I want to do. I want to explore New Zealand properly, properly. Yeah, even I've got a trip 
plan in mind. Uh, uh, you probably know about this. I don't know. <laughs> Tell me more. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, like, there's a, a reason why I haven't really um, been. Uh, I'm the same. There's a reason. I, <laughs> who's listening? <laughs> no, there's a reason why I haven't really been rolling around in Kurama like I like I used to. So, I'm sure you know. Do you know about this? I don't know. I I I think I do, but I don't want to. No, no, no. That's all right. It's just yeah, yeah. the point system, the merits. Who cares? <laughs> Shit happens. I didn't know about all that, but. When I come back, I'm going to do a big tour of New Zealand from the North Island to the South Island just to really see the country again from, from my own perspective. And I'm going to take the whip, the beast, the nine-tailed beast, Kurama, and enjoy some of the open roads in the South Island. So I really want to, like, I, honestly, I did it right before the lockdown in the camper van and ex explored the north, uh, the, the east coast of the north, and it was beautiful. And I was like, bro, this is, New Zealand so beautiful, man. Like, there's so many, you can do it twice over in your lifetime and still find new spots. You know what I mean? So I really want to explore New Zealand more and more and more. You know, as much as the world's beautiful and you can't travel as much right now, these restrictions, it made me realize like my own backyard's beautiful and I want to explore that. But in the same breath, I am grateful to be traveling. I'm grateful to be in the position I'm in. All blessed. A couple of days out from um, the fight night, what do you do then? What do, what do those days look like leading up to the fight? Probably not as much media this time, thank goodness. Um, I'm sure they'll still find ways to cram them in. <laughs> um, but probably just chilling, watching um, uh, Netflix or Neon, uh, gaming, uh, drinking lots of water, water loading. Um, and just relaxing because you can't really get too excited too quick. The excitement builds up slowly, but then you don't, you don't turn up the heat till fight night. That's when you really turn up the heat. So right now it's just slow cooking. That's all. Well, Izzy, all the very best with those preparations, especially during these unprecedented times. Do you have a message perhaps for your fans back here at home? Be nice. I keep saying this. It costs $0 to be nice. And if you are nice to someone, it feels good because everyone always forgets it. Yeah, so don't be a... All right. No. <laughs>